Prevail. C'est cette Geneva programme pro politico. L'histoire, la sécurité nationale. Crimen organisado, dinero sucio. Global corruption. Ta brotpou, sa démocratie. Et ahora, ATP. Et maintenant, comme ustedes, su anfitrion. Welcome back to the fight. This time I know our side will win. I'm Greg Oliard. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Gal Suburban is here. Gal, of course you know is the great open source intelligence researcher and i wanted to have her on to get her thoughts about the indictment the indictment meaning the 38 count indictment dropped on friday by jack smith 37 of those counts are against donald john trump the former president of the united states i know gal had a lot of thoughts and ways of looking at the document that i didn't have so i wanted to have her on and see what she thought we recorded this on Sunday, and I was a little concerned because I knew that the arraignment was going to be Tuesday. And, you know, what if something happened that was really big and this whole thing would be made moot? Um, yeah, as it happened, nothing happened at all. You know, there was a lot of pomp. Trump arrived at the courthouse with that r ridiculously, embarrassingly excessive motorcade. Steve Schmidt on his podcast said, Why is Trump being treated like a head of state as opposed to a criminal defendant? This is all theater, he said. And so it was. There was Trump, his color palette, popping in the hot sun, red tie, orange face, yellow hair, green money, blue suit. The guy was a veritable rainbow flag. The MAGA protesters who braved the jungles of nom-like humidity were decked out in white Blacks for Trump t-shirts, even though they weren't, you know, people of color. And they were outnumbered by the reporters, most of whom were tripping over themselves to fuck up the coverage. We saw Trump march into the building. We saw him right after greeting supporters at the Cuban restaurant. We saw him even later stirring up the crowd at Bedminster at yet another hateful rally where he uncorked lie after lie after lie. And we saw him on the cover of the New York Times the next day, looking positively triumphant. What we didn't get to see was the arraignment itself. That was held in the courtroom where cameras and most of the reporters were not allowed. Thank goodness for Anna Bauer of Lawfare, for doing what the mainstream papers did not, and actually, you know, describing the fucking scene in there. Now, here's what she wrote. When I finally enter courtroom 13-3, Trump is already seated at a table on the right-hand side of the room. Overhead, a warm white light appears to shine directly on the former president, casting his orange-blonde hair in a golden hue. He is, both literally and metaphorically, in the limelight. Yet it strikes me that Trump the man who positioned bigness as a central issue of American politics, hugely, bigly, little Marco, looks unmistakably small. The courtroom is large, almost cavernous, adorned with slabs of creamy marble and caramel wood. Across the room, the judge's bench towers over the rest of us. Trump, for his part, sits hunched between his attorneys, his trademark grandiosity exchanged for something like solemnity or melancholy. A murmur travels down the row in which I am seated as members of the media spot the man who has played a role in bringing the famously braggadocious former president to this courtroom, special counsel Jack Smith. He is perched in the front row of the gallery on the left side of the room, behind the table where his colleagues from the Justice Department are seated for the arraignment. 
Sporting a characteristically steely expression, Smith appears to be pointedly staring at Trump as we await the judge's entrance. So that's what Anna Bauer wrote at Lawfare. Please go read that piece. It's really good. So we didn't get to see Jack Smith's death glare. We didn't see Trump cower and fidget. We didn't see his attorneys push back on the flimsy conditions of release pending trial asked for by the prosecution. We didn't see that the judge presiding over the arraignment was not Aileen Cannon, the Trump-appointed MAGA judge who will oversee the actual case, but a magistrate judge named Jonathan Goodman. No relation to Saul. The old adage, justice is blind, was taken a little bit too literally. There was no perp walk, no cuffs, no mugshot, no bail set, no conditions for release beyond don't do more crimes and don't talk about the case to each other, no gag order, no surrender of passports, and as already mentioned, no cameras. The whole thing was a travesty, almost Yeltsin-y in its dysfunction. Was Tuesday a good day for the rule of law? The jury's still out. So, yeah, I guess the, uh, the silver lining here is that nothing was ruined about my discussion with Gal. Um, you know, we went back to the indictment, read through the indictment, really got into the meat of it, and she was able to point out things that I hadn't seen or hadn't thought about. So, um, you know, really good conversation with her. And I'm going to get right down to it. You know, there's nothing else I have to say up front about this. I'm glad that this this criminal, this horrible criminal who put so many of us, all of us at, at risk, at jeopardy, at in peril, is finally having some sort of consequence for these terrible crimes. Will something happen out of it? I don't know, man. I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. But those are thoughts for another day, worries for another week. For now, we'll be right back with Gal Suburban. Waltine, Waltine. Waltine, Waltine, I'm begging of you, please don't turn me in. Waltine, Waltine, do not come clean. If we stick together, we will win. We'll make sure they don't forget there's documents by Joe's Corvette, more there than you put by my latrine. A jury of our peers will sentence us to 50 years And neither will the judge, my friend Aileen And if it turns out that we have to flee You'll come with me to the UAE You'll know I'll never leave you be, Waltine Waltine, Waltine, do not come clean Tell Jack Smith you won't accept his deal Waltine, Waltine, valet machine. If we lose this time, we'll win it on appeal. Waltine, Waltine. Gal Suburban, welcome back to Prevail. Hey, Greg, how's it going? Uh, I'm good. This is, I think you're now the most frequent guest that I've had on my show. Yeah, yeah I think you are. Because you. this is oh now the gosh. fourth time you've been on. You were on January 21st of 22, June 3rd of 22, January 20th of 23, 
And now June, this is going to run on the 16th of 23. So it's like every six months you come back, basically. We oh, have like, wow. a, we have a pattern. Or maybe it's not so, six oh, months. Oh, I'm so humble. You yeah. have the best, um, you know, audience and best guests. So I'm yeah. among great people. Well, you know, I, I do, you know. Um, and last time you were on, I was still like in kind of COVID fog. And I think I thought that the interview was an hour and it was two and I just didn't even know. <laughs> so we'll try to not do that this time. So, okay. Um, and for people listening, we are recording this at three o'clock in the afternoon Eastern time on Sunday, June 11th. It's going to run on Friday, the 16th. God only knows what's going to happen between now and then Tuesday is going to happen. So uh, you know, something's going to happen on Tuesday in Miami at 3 p.m. One imagines. But um, for now, it's been, you know, 48 hours or so since the indictments dropped or the indictment dropped. And, uh, you know, we just want to talk about that. So why don't we start with that? What was your initial reaction when you heard on Thursday? Because you heard from you. you t- I found out from you because you hit me up on Signal. Um, and I found out from you who found out from Trump, I guess, on Truth Social that he was that he was uh, indicted. And then, you know, everybody sort of confirmed it. So what was your re- reaction to that? And then also your reaction after reading the indictment for the first time? I mean, he he has a habit of uh, trying to get ahead of the narrative. So mm-hmm. he wants to control um, what how people initially react and feel about, you know, a major event. So certainly his um, hints on true social and then eventually like basically saying, yeah, they're going to indict me and how dare they. I was I mean, I guess I kind of laughed a little simply because why would you even tweet that or truth that? (laughs) You know, I'm just thinking, just shut up, man. Um, But, you know, it's it's a relief. It's it's a good day for for the rule of law, you know. So I'm just trying to maintain my patience in the system and, you know, just trying to kind of learn what the process will be and what to what the expectations should be before I have any set in stone, any expectations, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's the wise policy. I mean, he, I think he tweets out this shit to get his people ready. Cause I think he is trying to mobilize some sort of response. So, you know, I, I had initially thought maybe when he said it's going to be Tuesday, I thought maybe he was just full of shit. Cause he lies about the dates sometimes intentionally to get people all, you know, crazy. But it turned out that that was that that is the date. As far as we know, it's going to be, um, you know, Tuesday, the 13th, Tuesday, the 13th of June at three o'clock in the afternoon in Miami, which I don't think is quite the stronghold in Florida that other places might be, I think. But I don't know. Um, and, you know, hopefully I, I think he's trying to get people to show up there and give everybody hell. And, you know, hopefully that does not come to pass. I mean, I'll just tell them I'm in Florida. It's really, really, really hot here. Like if you're up in Ohio or, you know, somewhere where it's nice and cool and you finally hit the summer, like, trust me, you don't want to come down here. You're going to get heat stroke. Um, he's not going to care if you're here. Uh, so just stay and like, you know, go go to the lake because yeah. it's really gross and hot. And it's hard to maneuver, I think, around Miami and in, in, in those areas. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, New York didn't pan out so well for him when he tried to get his. I mean, George Santos showed up, but. And Marjorie. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it all comes back to Casablanca. There are certain sections of New York, Major, I wouldn't recommend trying to invade. So, but Florida, who did, I mean, anything could happen in Florida. So, and, and there's, and I, true. we're going to have to resist the temptation of predicting what might happen because by the time everyone's listening to this, it will have already happened. But we've got, you know, we've got Florida, we've got Aileen Cannon as the judge, unless she recuses, oh. which she really should. I mean, just for her own sanity and, you know, if she wants to just have that job forever and not worry, probably not a great idea to take this on. Although it would be really fucking funny if uh, she did take it on and wound up being fine. That would be a really nice yeah. FU to him. And and certainly in the range of possibilities, I would say. But, you know, it's it's really a cocktail of things. And, um, you know, I, I'm curious about the bail process and all of that, because if this was anybody else, Literally anybody else in the country did this. They would already be in custody. They wouldn't be like, you know, in Georgia at a rally. Um, right. Threatening Jack Smith's wife, you know, probably that, that would not be happening. So I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be a crazy week. Um, of it's going to be wild. Yeah. Oh, oh it's going to be wild. Right. Right. There That's what he said. It's going to be wild. You, you said it. You yep. said it. Uh, Leading up to January 6th. Yeah. yeah. If it's what you say, I'll love it, especially later in the summer. So um, now you monitor on the regular these um, Twitter spaces and these other areas where these chaos agents, supposedly rehabilitated Nazis and um, right wing weirdos tend to congregate. And they're, you know, as we learned from J6, these people just like can't won't shut up about their plans and their intentions and they they say what they're going to do so what's your sense in your monitoring of these things of how that population is handling this news so there's i feel like there is a good section of them um particularly like the QAnon type section um a lot of them believe this is part of the plan, like that he he has to be indicted and he mm. has to in order to like you know, essentially getting indicted is like infiltrating the Department of Justice and all the systems so that he can be, you know, like, I don't know, blow up from the ins, which is doesn't make sense. But, you know, um, that's what I'm hearing a little bit on some of it. So they're really kind of in, in if they believe that they're pretty calm because they think, you know, there's still barges off of Gitmo and all that's going to, you know, the plan is just. It just, you know, they keep moving the ball. It's all going to it's all going to come out and the whole world going to be shocked. And everybody who isn't awake, you know, to the, you know, the theories, they're just going to they're, they're going to thank them later. I don't know, whatever. Um, but then you have just people who have been propagandized into this really, you know, ISIS like spiritual warfare put on the armor of God um, and sacrifice your life for the leader and for the cause. I think that's a much smaller, obviously, um, group of people. But those are the ones that I'm personally more more concerned about. I'm more concerned about stochastic terrorism and like targeted, smaller targeted precision attacks against either specific people, whether it be politicians like we saw with um mr pelosi or um or or specific buildings like we saw at the fbi building um things like that um more of a mcveigh timothy mcveigh kind of lay in wait 
mentality versus an outward cry for organize. I think the people that are organizing are just yappy grifters that need a rally to put a ghost that gives them go out and be like, hey, help me fund my rally thing, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm seeing. I worry about it because I feel like a lot of the Republican politicians, you know, the vast majority of the Republican politicians are not embracing this news either. And they're kind of spreading these narratives that are, I think, really, really dangerous. Um, we talked about this on the 5-8 on Friday, but I'll, I'm going to read it again since I made notes and I have them in front of me. Uh, Josh Hawley said, he tweeted out, do we still have a constitution? If people in power can jail their political opponents at will, we don't have a republic anymore. And the implication there is that this is somehow, you know, I mean, he's right, but that's not what this is. He's trying to muddy the ground and confuse people. DeSantis is the same. The weaponization of federal law enforcement represents a moral threat to a free society. Yes, that is true, but this is also not what's happening. Um, right. And your your buddy, Matt Gates, um, imagine ah. being naive enough to believe that the Biden bribe evidence and Trump indictment happening the same day was a coincidence. So, again, all, all, all three of these people, you see this this kind of like nod to conspiracy mongering and wanting to create an idea that Biden is somehow personally doling out these indictments when the reason this thing is in Florida is because that's where the grand jury was grand jury of of you know regular human americans who not chatbot ai or whatever um who saw the evidence and decided that the indictment was worthy and we've now seen the evidence and uh yeah the indictment was worthy um but do you think that the the politicians doing this like is that going to affect that those groups the, the potentially violent groups at all or do you think it's just it doesn't matter or what's your sense of what effect that might have just in general uh, yeah among i mean the crazies? I, th- I think words always matter right um i don't know how impactful those specific people or even for instance um chip uh who was it was it Chip Roy who was like talking about the bridges and then Andy it was, Biggs it wasn't put out Chip Roy that it was somebody was... else, but yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. What is, oh, what is his? I'm sure name? he said something awful anyway, but yeah, Andy Biggs yeah. is the one that was like. <laughs> Civil war, eye for an eye. Which I, right? and I, my, my reaction to Andy Biggs tweeting eye for an eye was like, dude, Stuart Rhodes has been through enough. <laughs> Stop making fun of him. He he was in Air. He was uh, he ran those keepers in Arizona for a while. So I'm sure Andy knows. Uh, maybe he was there when the incident occurred. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just see the what I think what would concern me is if you had politicians who aren't typically hyperbolic that were coming out with that kind of rhetoric. These yeah. are the. I just think this is the same people who know that saying stupid shit and and saying outlandish uh conspiratorial you know comments make them money it just brings in a ton of money into their um into their campaigns and so i mean they don't care what happens to trump they they really don't um you know they care that they get to keep their seat and so they have just made a choice that they think you know, stoking this um, 
Christian nationalist or uh, Christian identity redux um, ideology is profitable right now. And they've chosen that route for their their rhetoric. But I I think, you know, it's just the same people saying the same thing. So it matters. But it I, in terms of does it recruit any new people to join the cause? No. You know, yeah, it, seems <laughs> it probably pretty... doesn't change much. In fact, I mean, I saw some polling today um, and it looks like Trump is is even more ahead now than he was before. I don't know if this is from Friday, you know, since Friday, maybe the, the indictments will have some effect. But it looks like he's polling at around 33. DeSantis is at something like 12 and everybody else is in low single digits. And uh, I don't know. I, I think I think he's going to be the nominee. Trump, I should say, is going to be the nominee no matter what happens, whether he's in prison or in exile or, or whatever. I think he's going to keep running. And if he's not the GOP nominee, he's going to run third party because I think he needs to. This is how this is his grift. He's got to keep people giving him money. And if he's not running, he can't do that. What's your sense about about the, you know, the election in that in that way? Yeah, I I totally agree. I think anything to keep himself uh, somewhat relevant and being talked about and therefore able to raise money. I mean, Mm -hmm. I keep going back to that. I know it's not the only motivator, but it's one of the biggest for these guys. And uh, I do think there's a potential for him to run a third party ticket. I think the QAnon kind of spaces that I'm listening to um, and some of the, you know, libertarian populist uh, left, right, you know, convergence. um, I think they see that as potential also, you know, with somebody like RFK. Yeah. Um, I think RFK is actually more of a concern than um, some of the other people because he's kind of recruiting almost like a, a, a Bernie bro redo type concept. Right. I wonder about so. him, like he has the name recognition, but he's so batshit and has been so batshit for so long. Um, I did see a bumper sticker here uh, for for him on somebody's car, and I was like, "Really? What the fuck is wrong with you people?" Uh, he's so clearly a chaos agent and so clearly steeped in weird propaganda that it, it yeah, it, it's almost uh, it's almost embarrassing. I mean, he's he's Tulsi even more obviously. In that sense. So I don't know. I I don't know how much, but I do feel like there is a, you know, you mentioned the left right thing. I do feel like there is a, a, um, a push on the part of the chaos agents to infiltrate the far left, um, which is much, usually much more effective in places like Britain um, and in Europe than it is here, simply because there's more, I think, appetite for it there. You know, it's more of a yeah. viable political party because they have the parliamentarian system. There are these socialist uh, politicians who have real power. Um, and here it's just it's Bernie yapping, you know, complaining and and yeah. never, ever, ever doing anything about it. And I thought it was interesting in light of the um, the debt ceiling crisis or manufactured crisis when, you know, you had Republicans voting against it. But you also had this faction of of Democrats voting against it, right. quote unquote, progressive wing voting against it for some sort of, I don't even know what the fuck they were thinking because it's, you know, if that, if that, if the debt ceiling 
If that doesn't happen and we go into a default, the global economy is completely collapsed and whatever la-la thing that they want to accomplish ain't getting accomplished. So it just seems preposterous yeah. to me. Well, QAnon has a theory about that whole that whole thing. I won't I won't bore you with it, but essentially they want Trump back for 2024 because what they said the other night, he's the guy who's supposed to, you know, fulfill the bankruptcy like we're I mean, like the United States would bankrupt and then basically become like a new entity with like a new all like idea and new constitution. I mean, it's like that wild of a. Yeah. Show yeah. Over there. Well, you know, when you the know. bankers met and formed the Federal Reserve on St. Simon's Island, you know, and then FDR signed over the blah, blah, blah. it's like that that kind of shit where people yeah. were talking about this yeah. stuff. But you, you bring up an interesting question. If Trump runs again, can he choose JFK Jr. as his running mate? Will JFK Jr. have to appear in person and and verify that he's still alive? Or can we just take it on faith? And how will that I affect think... Robert Kennedy Jr.? Yeah, well, I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of fucked up for Robert. I yeah. feel, I mean, just throw him to the side like that with a hologram of JFK. That's just not cool. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, and just Teddy, there is are, there a there Ted are Kennedy bumper stickers. <laughs> there are bumper stickers, you know, and T-shirts to say Trump Kennedy 2024. So, you know, it's very strange to me that they all embrace Kennedy as if like, even if even if we go by the, the, the crazy. If JFK Jr. really was alive, he would not like Trump. I mean, I think we can no. safely say he would not like him like at all, like no. at all. So the idea that he would somehow, I don't know, it's very weird to me that they've sort of glommed onto to this this guy in particular. It's just well, Roger, Roger Stone is absolutely obsessed with JFK. Um, he's written a couple of books about the assassination. He's always been very, very fixated on that whole thing. So what's I think his, a lot of the influence from that comes from Roger. What's his take on it? Is he is he a conspiracy guy about it? Do you know? Um, he, I mean, he he is a deep state. You know, the deep state didn't want Kennedy to fulfill like you know this vision that he had, and you know, um, which is again, I think why it's um, palatable to people on the left is because it's not that we don't recognize that the government oversteps its boundaries or uh, uses excessive power in certain situations and metals and things they shouldn't meddle in. It's just that, you know, we don't use it in the same way they do. You know, they're able to use that, that, that idea and that understanding of, you know, wanting a limited government that's fiscally responsible and that uh, has human rights and all of these things in mind, we, you know, they use that um, to claim that they're being persecuted, you know, instead of, you know, just looking at the things objectively. But that's what I think Roger sees it as or or plays into it as this deep state who's, you know, not letting any of you actually be free and deciding everything for you and, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Oswald was a patsy, like he's into the into that that thing. OK, mm-hmm. um, I, I really <laughs> think I, I think he acted alone. And I think that all of the propaganda around it is a KGB op long, very successful KGB op. That's what I think. And uh, I don't know. Did you read this book um, called Case Closed by um, Case Closed by Gerald Posner? 
where he no. goes through it's he goes through and basically because I went when I was younger, I went into a I went into a conspiracy hole and read a lot of the stuff. Because I just thought it was interesting and I wanted to see what the perspectives were, which I think what lots of people do that now that are looking into this QAnon stuff. And uh, I read that and I was like, oh, yeah, this is what happened. It sort of debunks everything really coolly and easily. And, oh, cool. you know, and then you're done. You know, I don't yeah. know what else to say. So, yeah, since I read that book, I've been like, yeah, no, move, moving on. I don't care about that anymore. It's not interesting to me anymore. But I can see the appeal of it. And then you look back at, Okay, who made the movie that got everybody talking about it? Oh, right, Oliver Stone. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Great point. Oliver yeah. Stone, who, you know, is is interviewing Putin and basically, like, hagiographically hey, uh, talking about him and is clearly not maybe on the up and up in terms of, you know. Yeah. What government yeah. he's rooting for. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, in hindsight, you're like, oh, right, of course, this is this is probably bad. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Enough, enough JFK stuff. We have to talk about, um, we have to talk about the indictment, but let's, let's take a quick break up front. We'll be right back with Gal Suburban. Hi, this is John Cryer and I am hosting a new seven part true crime podcast called lawyers, guns, and money. That'll challenge everything you think, you know, about us covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes and they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Okay, we're back with Gal Suburban. Uh, Again, it is Sunday, June 11th. So if stuff happens after this that we don't know about it, please don't hold it against us. 
Okay, going through this indictment, what are your first thoughts reading through it? Like, is there any like overarching idea that you had in mind when you, when you were going through it initially, or any like? Oh, man, I'm just uh, I don't know. I it's kind of like I don't know if anybody else thinks like Jack Smith is just like I don't know. He's like a sexy superhero at this point for me. <laughs> like, I just think it's so well written, and I I love how he uses you know Trump's statements against him about particularly like the whole thing about hillary's emails and Mm -hmm. you know how he was going to be the one to protect national security and classified doc i mean just it's just it's just beautifully done in it uh it's very subtle way that yeah yeah but um and then nada this guy this nada yeah well what the all teen yeah. Have you ever heard that name before? No, but he's from Guam. I think it's a, you know. Oh, is that I, I what it is? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know. All right, I, don't, all right. I, I know it's a, it's an unusual name and it's, it's rising so saltine. But, um, you know, I don't know. You're maybe my it's language guy. Like, yeah, like, yeah. You're my, it's a so I figured name. maybe you knew where the origination of the name yeah. or something. I believe he's from Guam and I, I assume that the name is is uh, popular there or not as uncommon there. Yeah. Um, Walt but, is kind of cool. I just, I never heard the other one, but. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this this guy. I mean, he was just with him last night in Georgia, mm-hmm. right I next know. to him. Well, but, you know, yeah, the, in- the diapers aren't going to change themselves, Gal. No, it's 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 because he's the I body man. Yeah. yeah, you know, he's he's um, you know Charlie on on West Wing. You know, he's Dulé Hill, I and mean, that's that's who he is. And he's with Trump all the time. And I think it's. You know, I, I was it Michael Cohen. It was one of these. I think it was him years ago that was talking about the idea of Trump being this great man. And when you're in the presence of somebody like uh, like that and him specifically, because he he does have charisma that people sure. kind of like buckle and they just fall under his spell a little bit. And that appears to be what's going on with Waltine. I would think that he's just like, wow, I can't believe that I'm in the presence of this this great man. Where would you like these boxes moved? Um yeah. It's sort of preposterous yeah. that, like, he's going to go to prison for a long time for, like, hauling boxes around. I mean, in a vacuum, it's like, really? That's what you did, man. You, I mean, he also lied to the FBI and stuff like that. But he, you know, he's just a grunt, basically, hauling shit around for Trump. And uh, yeah. you know. Trump takes advantage of people that are loyal to the country. That's yeah. what he does. You know, I think this is a young guy ish um actually i don't know how old he is but he seems young his maturity level from the text messages and things like that he seems like a younger guy so that's what i'm going off of but you know i just trump has this way of taking advantage of people who who really believe in the good of the country and i and i just that's always pissed me off you know is how he um how he takes advantage of uh, veterans, military members, yeah. um, things like that. When that dude never served a day in his life, he doesn't, he he wouldn't, you know, and he's just a big coward. So, but yeah, I just, cause like even this Malta guy, he like sent a smiley face in one of his text messages. The Melania. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I mean, it just seems, I don't There's know. There's lots of, lots of things that are weird uh, about him. But yeah, one of the, one of the takeaways, and I think my biggest takeaway from this is that, I mean, first of all, just 
the staggering scope, even of this, which I assume is not the final word we're going to get from Jack Smith on this topic. The idea that he was taking these documents, which we'll go into what each individual one is in a little bit later, you know, nuclear secrets, war secrets, like important stuff, intelligence about some of our allies, took yeah. it, had it for a year and a half, shuffled it back and forth between Mara fucking Lago and Bedminster, where all manner of humanity came and then wouldn't give it back repeatedly, repeatedly until forced to do so by by the fucking FBI is insane. And yeah, Trump is the one thing we know about him is. We know a lot about him, actually. He's not, yeah. he's lazy. He's not a hardworking guy. So reading through the lines of this, there appears to be a systematic process by which Trump is going through all of these boxes. And you can yeah. tell uh, on page, this is number 27 in the document on page 11, Trump employee one, is it only his papers he cares about? There's other stuff in there that are not papers. Could that go to storage or does he want everything in there on property? Trump employee two, yes, anything that's not the beautiful mind paper boxes can definitely go to storage. So the implication there is he doesn't give a shit about anything else. He's only interested in the paper. And there's a, let me see if I can find it here. Yeah, Nauta is bringing boxes from the storage room to Trump's residence. There's number 41. Nauta is replying about um, Trump's review of the content of his boxes. Uh, he's has one he's working on in Pine Hall, knocked out two boxes yesterday. Um, number 44. Nauta texted Trump employee to about Trump's tracking of boxes. He's tracking yeah. the boxes. Uh, number 45, he's complaining there's too much writing on them. He marked too much. So, And then the business of them moving them uh, to Bedminster on the plane when Melania complained that there wasn't enough room and him saying, no, no, it's not, it's not all the boxes. My impression was he just wants to take stuff out. So what's happening here, if you read between the lines, is that Trump is going through these boxes and apparently taking shit out of the boxes compiling yep. a best of pile um, in the mm -hmm. way that people go through at coin shows, go through piles of coins, looking for the valuable ones and putting them off yeah. to the side. And why is he doing this now? Part of it might be, Hey, I'm going to brag to this asshole on my club that I want to impress that look at this paper. It's from Iran. But I don't think that's even, you know, a, a tiny uh, uh, percentage of why he's doing it. I think he's right, doing whether it. he had it or not in his hand, you know, yeah. so he's yeah. going to sell this shit. There's no question in my mind that he's he's trying to put a, a, figure out what he's got, organize it in a way that makes sense and then sell it because that's all he fucking cares about. That's everything is monetized yeah. to this guy. The fucking pandemic yeah. was monetized. The PPP thing was monetized. The presidency was monetized. The hotel in Washington was monetized. He sells steaks. He sells vodka. He sells brandy. He sells pardons. Yes. So the idea he that he's pardons. not selling this shit, which is, you know, the primo shit. This is as good as it gets. This is the most valuable commodities he will ever possess in his life. The clock mm -hmm. is ticking and he's trying to go through these boxes and he's slow because he's fucking dumb and he can't read very well, uh, which is why Walt needs to help him by writing shit on the on the labels of the boxes. But that seems to be what's going on. And when you overlay what's happening 
while this is happening. Uh, it's crazy because we have yeah. that woman, Anna de Rothschild, who called herself a Rothschild and walked right, place, right. right? You've got spies upon spies at Mar-a-Lago for this year and a half. Right after he leaves um, to go back to Bedminster for uh, the summer, which is in June 5th or something in in, in 22, uh, not long after that, the fucking Saudis come on that live golf court of Bedminster. And between right. that, between him going to Bedminster and the Saudis going there, do you remember what happens? No, tell me. Ivana died. Oh, shit. So, you know, and again, like, I know everyone's joking about it, but like, it's so fucking weird that they bury her on the goddamn golf course. It just, it's just, odd. it's very weird. You know, it's very weird, especially given the context of all this stuff that's happening. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's, that's my sense. I mean, is there any other plausible explanation for why he would be going through all these boxes for of classified stuff? What do you think? Um, I don't, I mean, any kind of leverage, mm. um, you know, yeah. is, is, uh, is valuable to him either monetarily or in a, you know, uh, wielding power or authority, or if he needs somebody to do something or wants to move somebody to do something, I think information is leverage not just to sell, but to keep and say, I have right yeah. for extort extortion, bribery, um, blackmail, whatever, you know, name your poison. But I think that's part of, uh, part of that because, you know, he's considering, uh, at this time that, you know, he's getting looked at for January 6th. He knows right. the people around him who helped. He knows, you know, a lot, of, a lot of that. So he's probably in my mind, I'm thinking he's looking through those boxes to help himself out of that mm. too. Okay. Right. Yeah, that like, makes sense, is yeah. there something in these boxes that I can use to leverage my position so that I I don't get charged with a uh, seditious conspiracy or attempting to overthrow the government that I was in charge of at one point. So I think there's a, uh, you know, potential there that maybe um, he thought something in there he could use against, I don't know, a prosecutor or an FBI agent or, sure. you know, somebody in his circle um, that he could uh, convince to take the fall from or whatever it was. Right. Uh, who knows? Um, or he could, you know, say, Flynn, well, Flynn, you go to prison for me and I'll make sure your brother gets that deal with the Saudis for the, you know, the nuclear reactors or, you know, what shit like that. I mean, there's all sorts of different possibilities. Uh, we could, yeah. yeah, we could just take guesses. But what I think is masterful about what Jack Smith did here is he he tells us through this and through what you just explained that. Trump is not stupid, right? He is not somebody who just threw a bunch of shit in boxes. He he knows what he wants to see. He is meticulously requesting certain things. Mm -hmm. He is reviewing those. There's black marker on some of them. His Sharpie, his signature Sharpie. He's taking notes, whether that was during his White House briefing or after the fact, we don't know, but you know, it shows, I think, that Trump is not just this messy slob. He's yeah. a messy slob who also it intentionally is threatening national security. Yeah. You know, 
And so I think that paints that picture pretty well. And I think he needed to, because I think one of the excuses that they attempted to throw out there to see if it stuck was the fact that he was messy and disorganized mm-hmm. and other people packed the boxes. And, you know, even last night in Georgia, he said, oh, well, the GSA packed the box. And, you know, if they were just sitting out there, what would, you know, it's everybody else's responsibility to tell me what I'm not supposed to do. Well, that's not okay. That's cute, but whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so I think that that was really important for Jack to lay out here is that, he really was aware of and requesting specific things in there because he knew what he took. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you were hinting at this exposing these documents because it's, I think maybe people have trouble visualizing this in, in, in the same way that people I'm talking about the general public now has trouble visualizing like Russian hacking or something, you know, but, right. These documents, uh, and, and and we've seen so many fucking spy movies and everything else. Oh, dude, this is on the, you know, nuclear secrets are a big fucking deal. And yeah. war contingency plans are a big fucking deal. And yeah. to have that stuff, uh, as LB put it on, the, on, on Friday, out in the wild is right. such a fucking danger. I mean, you go back to A Few Good Men, which I think articulates this, this kind of, um, the balancing act that we try to have between security and, and liberty. Right. And, right. you know, Nicholson winds up crossing that line, but his speech about, you know, you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall. It fucking holds. We're, we're yeah. in a privileged p- position in this country of being able to, uh, you know, like, what does he say in the, well, you don't like to think about when you go to your parties, you know, that that we can have fun and we can kind of relax and not worry that we're going to have hellfire rain down on us because people right. are keeping us safe. And what Trump yeah. did is make us not safe. Like this is, I think, the worst thing that you can do, like if you, especially if you're the president, it's the worst thing you can do. It's it is treason. I know that the legal Twitter will be like, actually, treason, you have to be at war. And blah, 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 blah. But it's treason. It's a betrayal of the country. It's a betrayal of of our safety. Everybody's safety, right. not just Democrats, Republicans, too. Even the dipshit MAGA who think he's God are made less safe because of what this guy did. And that's just yeah. a fact. And I think we yeah. have to, you know, kind of that. that's even in reading this and trying to imagine it. I think we have to keep coming back to that idea of how you know, just how deplorable this is and how brazenly the, the, the disregard. Yeah, un-American, but the disregard for human life and, and just the, yeah. the disgusting, grotesque selfishness. Um, it, it's really, even for him, it's off the charts, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's not just him screwing over one person or two this time. It's It's all of us that he's you know, fucked over in, in this profound way for the second time, you know, the COVID thing being the first time. So, you know, it's yeah. bad. And even, even let's just I go out on a, the craziest limb ever that isn't going to be reality and that he didn't, I mean, we know a couple of times where he showed it, at least that was written here in the indictment, but let's just say he didn't share it with any of our foreign adversaries or people who would provide it to our foreign adversaries. Like just the simple fact that that he had classified documents and that many of all those different scales in his fucking bathroom in a shower and next to a toilet. I mean, it's just so 
growth. And, and not only that, if you're one of the other countries that allies with us for Intel or information, like, what are you thinking right now? You know, I mean, you have to be thinking to yourself, like, can we try, you know, are we able to trust the United States of America when this, this guy was able to, to just have these things in a, in a fucking toilet room? Like what, you know? So uh, I always kind of consider that, too, because a part of why America is safe is because our allies abroad help us maintain our safety with information and and protection in other ways, too. So we have to be able to be trusted uh, on the world stage. You know, that's part of our power. That's an excellent point. Yeah, it's just a big it's ugly American to the nth degree. It's just it couldn't be worse. So, yeah, this is a catastrophe. And I think yeah. as as people get more distance from it, the scope of the catastrophe is going to be more magnified. Um, yeah. Okay, so you were talking about the, the declassification and stuff like that. And there was a thread that you did a while ago about there was this yeah. period of time where Trump named like John Solomon and Cash Patel as people that could declassify things. I'm not maybe Tom Fitton was involved with that. And it seemed to be something to do with the crossfire hurricane documents, I think. Um, walk, walk us through, if you don't mind, that time period and what was happening. Because it didn't I, I knew at the time that it, it was fishy, but I wasn't sure what the what the purpose of what they were doing was. Yeah. So, OK, I'll go back right before he left office um, first real quick. So we have that. So okay. back on the 14th of January, 2021, John Solomon put out like this podcast thing where he essentially was telling everybody that uh, he had this detailed understanding of these classified documents that the Trump administration had requested be declassified. They had requested on the 30th of December, 2020. So this podcast was a pretty short one. I have it up, but he was describing it in detail. Like he was there um, helping actually determine like which should be pushed for more declassification, which shouldn't. So that was really important because he talked about different CI code names. He talked about FBI tasking orders for George Papadopoulos, Carter Page, Mike Flynn, um, that kind of stuff. So I thought that was really telling because John Solomon wouldn't have had a clearance to see these things in January of 2021 um, because it wasn't until, you know, the Mar-a-Lago situation that he was appointed along with Cash Patel to the National Archives as Trump's representative. It wasn't until June 2022, like the end of June. So after the subpoena, after uh, uh, okay. all of that so he wouldn't have had access back in January 2021 is kind of, was kind of the the point there. But also um, just a few days after that, after John was at the White House, Trump wrote a memorandum to a declassification of certain materials related to FBI's crossfire hurricane. Now, just like I mean, I'm sure everybody knows, but Crossfire Hurricane was like the Papadopoulos, Mike Flynn, Paul Manafort, Carter Page, Roger Stone, uh, contacts with Russia leading up to the 2016, you know, that whole thing. Yeah, the the Um, FBI counterintelligence investigation that Pete Strzok opened in May, I think, of 2016. 
There you go. No, no, no. It was yeah. July. It was June, Ju- June or July. It was, I'm sorry. George Papadopoulos met with the dude in May. That's that. That's what yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so. told him all the things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so he wrote this um, declassification memorandum, and what he does in it, I, I'm kind of surprised. I haven't, I didn't see it mentioned in Jack Smith's indictment. So I'm very curious about how that might be entered into evidence or presented at a trial, perhaps, because it's written in a way that if any of these documents are Crossfire Hurricane related documents, that it's a slam dunk that he knew he was not supposed to have them because in this letter or this memorandum that he did literally the day before leaving office, he says to them, that the DOJ provided the White House a binder of classified materials and that they, the uh, FBI and DOJ told him, we will not, we object to any further declassification of anything else. And I, it is my just kind of assumption based on a lot of the things that have come out since then is that they took them anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, and so the whole... Uh, declassification with my mind and blah, blah, blah. It was such a bullshit throw it up against the wall, see what sticks, because we already knew that he knew the process because he wrote an executive presidential memorandum explaining how to do it and what he wanted. So I don't know. I just it was just a really interesting process to watch when it finally came out and they were throwing all this stupid stuff up against a wall when I'm sitting here going, well, he He's already explained his state of mind and that he understands the process and that he he knows he can't just take things if if the FBI and um, DIA object to declassification. Right. Okay, so it makes sense to me that he would be curious about that just to see what people knew, who was investigating, how he might be able to attack the people that were investigating him. You know, whatever the fuck he did, he knows what he did. He can see if it's in there or not. You know, there's lots of reasons why he would want access to those files in particular. Right. And there's yeah. likely probably like human sources in right. uh, in Russian circles. Yes, right? absolutely. That, uh, that he and Mike Flynn and others, Putin, would want to know about. You yeah. know, so well, they might have known about because there, there was also somebody was circulating in uh, this and refreshing everybody's memory that the CIA did lose a lot of assets in the early years of Trump's presidency. So that's um, right. Yeah. So that that already happened, um, you know, again, and this makes everybody's life uh, puts puts us all more in peril. It just does mm-hmm. uh, because of yeah. this, this guy. So, again, John Solomon, Specifically our our troops abroad. That's what that's what's yeah. the most frustrating about about kind of that like even if you're not concerned about an attack on american soil you know we've got people that uh are abroad we have bases all over the world and they become targets when when this kind of shit happens when yeah. when america seems to can't be trusted can't be trusted by you know the world um we're vulnerable in those places where we're assisting you know whether it be humanitarian or military strategy or anything you know so they're vulnerable. They're sitting out there. So yeah. no, that's a yeah. Yeah, that's a good point too. And and this this has happened before. You know, it happens where our our you know military places get attacked, the embassies get attacked. This has happened plenty of times. So yeah, it it creates that as well. It's it and and anytime 
you have a tax like that, that increases the likelihood that there'll be war. You know, it's just it's just a shit show all around, even though it seems you read this thing and you're like, these are people bumbling around moving boxes from a ballroom to a shower. But it really yep. is. It's so much more than that. Um, and just to just to circle back and hit on some of the things that you were talking about, John Solomon, for people that don't know, uh, was a journalist at one time. In fact, he worked at the Associated Press when I was at the Associated Press. He was the uh, assistant bureau chief in D.C. back in the day and in the, in the 90s. And since went on and has his own like kind of quasi news kind of thing. And he's, you know, uh, always writing about Giuliani and people like that. So he's one of their mouthpieces, I guess. Right. Um, he would probably say he's doing journalism. I wouldn't qual you know, say that would, but to have him be in any way involved in in this is like I, I don't even know what the fucking equivalent would be. It would be maybe Glenn, like, Glenn Greenwald and WikiLeaks. Yeah. It would be like it would be like Obama being like, Hey Oprah, come de come declassify these things for me. Like, why would she <laughs> be doing that? Like it doesn't make it there's no yeah. logical re he's not in the government. It's not there's no reason at all that he should be looking at this stuff um, and let, you know, it's one thing if somebody is, he's writing something about it in some sort of brick in the story kind of way, but that didn't even seem to be what he was doing. It seemed to be, he was working for Trump in this weird capacity. At least that's how I understood it. So it was yeah. always or Mike Flynn. Fishy. Yeah. Mike yeah. Flynn. He, he was very involved in the Sidney Powell, Mike Flynn, Ivan Raiklin all during the time, you know, when Mike Flynn was, um, you know, un under indictment and then pled guilty and, and then Bill Barr stepped and the whole thing was a mess. Yeah. But he was very involved, you know, in that in those years that all of that was going on. So okay. I suppose they they considered him an expert. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe. You know? And, and you know, probably by the dying days of the Trump administration, anybody that has any competence is in short supply. I mean, sure. You know, you looked at most of the people that were competent. Um, by the time of of J six, for example, all ha all have the Leonard Leo Opus Dei Catholic Information Center ties. There's like that yeah. wing of people, and they're almost all there still until the bitter end. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it's just you know Mark Meadows, who I remember you know the word on the street with Mark Meadows. Hugo Lowe told me this when he came on the podcast, is that he was out of a job and he was like telling people that he was being considered for chief of staff because he thought it would help him get a, a better consulting gig on K street. And then wow. I guess they heard him say this and they, they gave him the job <laughs> because there was yeah, nobody else that would do it. You know, careful what you wish for. Yeah, I guess. seriously. Yeah. That's that guy. That's a, that's a shit show. So, okay. Um, so that puts the, puts the bow on that. Now let's turn to the counts. Um, counts yeah. one to 31. Uh, the each count. Okay is basically a classification document that was mishandled, uh, yep. right? So um, there was a thread on Twitter by some rando anonymous account or pseudonymous account that kind of looked at what was going on during the dates when these documents were happening that I thought was yeah. pretty interesting. Because again, going back and looking at context and overlaying layers of things on top of things really does help you see the picture like the fact that the live golf tournament and again the live golf is the saudi backed golf tournament that for a year was the rival of the pga before last week gobbling up the pga in a disgusting capitulation Ugh. uh by the pga tours chairman uh that's just one of the more vile things that you're going to see you know just outright 
selling of the soul. Um, but it matters, I think, that that happened at that time and not at, at another time. So um, what what have you, uh, you know, uh, I, pray, I, I pray that that thread there, what have you uh, seen or been able to figure out with the dates of these documents? You know, it's obviously all we can do is just, um, you know, speculate from what was happening around the current events of the time that these documents that have dates are dated and think to ourselves, knowing what we know about Donald Trump, like, okay, what about what was happening that he would have been been briefed on on that date would have been either something he would want to keep because it's sentimental, because he thinks it's cool, or because he thinks it event at some point he can use it as leverage or he can mm-hmm. um something more nefarious like selling it. And so when you start to really look at each count and what was happening in the administration around the time of the dates that are provided, it's it's really a bleak picture of the potential items or documents that he could have he could have or, or have had um yeah. and and shown to other people. I mean, some of these are um, you know, even like just uh count two. Um he that was uh during the time when Trump was uh discussing the withdrawal of the Iran nuclear deal. Okay. Um, you know, uh it's it's also when um you know Pompeo was in North Korea negotiating American prisoners. Just that, I mean, there's so many interesting moments that I it are concerning, particularly like count five. It talks about just the month of June 2020, um, but it's concerning nuclear capabilities of a foreign country. And what's interesting is in June of 2020 is when Putin signed a decree, these basic principles of Russian Federation state policy in the domain of nuclear deterrence and the two different options of when they might utilize nuclear weapons. So I wow. mean, that's yeah, that's that's obviously, you know, so I mean, it kind of obviously everything I'm saying is just kind of conspiratorial in, in nature because we don't know. Well, no, 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 it it's, not conspir- me, it's not conspiratorial. You know. It's it's educated guess. Like, it's not like we're making right. up that this happened. Like he, oh, yeah, he yeah. took the fucking documents. We know the dates of when the documents are dated and we know what we can see what was happening. And he doesn't say yeah. Jack Smith does not lay out in the indictment which is which, but he does say what departments of the government that that the documents were from. They're CIA, mm-hmm. they're NSA, they're Department of Energy, which is nuclear stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and 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 on and on the list goes. DOD. Um, so we can't say, oh, number six was DOD. We don't know, but right, right. Uh, the fact that that's the level of sophistication and and secrecy. Uh, that Trump is drawing from here, I think it makes perfect sense to go through and try to figure this out to some degree. Yeah, like, yeah, nuclear capabilities of a foreign country. It says top secret, redacted, redacted. We don't know shit about this. And no foreign, right. uh, which means n- nobody, no foreign nationals are allowed to look at it. Right. Uh, Even our ally, like yes. allies. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's it. This is a super top secret thing. And uh, and there it is. It might for all we know, it was spilled out on the fucking floor in the in the in the bathroom or wherever it was. Right. When when yeah. Waltine Nauda looked at it and was like, oh, shit, somebody's spilled stuff all over the floor here. 
um, right. which maybe it was spilled or maybe somebody went in there and rifled through it. We don't know. You know? Yeah. I mean, uh, Rothschild, uh, you know, fake Rothschild chick may, it might have been too heavy. <laughs> right. But just dropped it. If she's there, other people are, there, you know, <laughs> I think everybody, every, every foreign intelligence service worth their salt had somebody at Mar-a-Lago for the entire 18 month period here, uh, you know, yeah. to the, to the point where maybe there's a hotel bar down the street where they just took off their disguises and just had cocktails. I don't know, but it, it seemed ridiculous. Yeah. Um, another one here, number nine, undated document concerning military attacks by a foreign country. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's, you know, what, what's the big one is number 19, uh, undated document concerning nuclear weaponry of the United States. Uh, that yeah. seems important. That seems like maybe something that we don't want fucking anybody to see. I don't think we want Trump to see that. You know, I think we want that offline. When it says, I wonder what, it, when it means, like says formally restricted data, None of the other ones say that. So I yeah. was I was wondering what that what that meant. I don't know. Yeah, if I, I have no heard. idea. But it, it's maybe it's a it's a thing where, um, you know, sometimes I'm wondering if this is the technology that could be. Yeah, it could be because sometimes stuff gets out of date. I think with these documents, like you see with like Biden and Pence and when when they find classified documents at their residences or whatever, and this is, again, another Republican thing is trying to get everybody to think that Biden and Trump are doing the exact same thing. It's usually first of all, there's a there's a lot of documents that are classified that are on some level of it, you know, that, that aren't supposed to be out in the wild. But a lot of those things are pertain to situations that are happening. And then the situation is over and it's not no longer really a big deal to the level that other things are. Um, that that explains why sometimes the, the shit that was found at, at Biden's place. Right. This is not that this is feels like formally restricted maybe means it's not right up to the minute, but still is important. And uh, yeah, you know, nuclear weaponry is is important. You know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, when he became president, the thing that everybody was afraid of is the, the nuclear. Stuff. Is this. Yeah. Yeah. This is what everybody was yeah. afraid of. So. Um, yeah, he didn't get us into a war. He didn't start a nuclear war, but this is bad. This is bad. Yeah. Um, were there any other of these that popped out at you? Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, uh, count 14, uh, January, 2020 concerning military operations of a foreign, uh, country and potential effects on us interest. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that went on in January, 2020. Um, that was, uh, Qasem Soleimani, um, where he took out the, uh, that guy, the leader. Yeah, yeah. And then also that's when the Iranians um, shot missiles into the Iraqi bases that house U.S. troops. Mm-hmm. You know, he even like he publicly went on Twitter. I mean, this person even attached his tweet from January 4th, 2020s, like threatening Iran. Yeah. Um, and one of the, you know, sections in here talks about military actions against a foreign power and the consequences to the u.s interests things like that and i just think you know this kind of stuff is whether he the Soleimani thing was like a sentimental look look what i did i'm billy badass or you know or if it was another leverage opportunity you know for other leaders like look what i can make happen Mm -hmm. um but these kinds of things are just not um just scare it's just it puts uh our 
everybody at risk, I, even our allies, you know, because I mean, some of these other ones around the time frame in February 2022 or 2020, excuse me, is the U.S. Taliban agreement to leave Afghanistan, which I yeah. think was just an it, it was awful how, you know, the the events that happened that day and for us to lose guys on that day, that's something that the right wingers are putting on Biden. And yeah, he was the commander in chief at the time. But how the fuck did we let that happen? You know, like Trump and his guys let out 5000 prisoners and in exchange. I mean, it just it seemed like a, a setup to, for Biden from from the moment Pompeo and all them were shaking hands with the why would you make a deal with the Taliban? I don't know. Anyway, so around that time, he's got documents, you know, around this time when that was happening. And I'm curious to know if any of it is that just, I don't know, just stuff like that, that is just so could have such, you know, debilitating consequences for our intelligence community, for, you know, our military readiness and safety. And it just really, um, you know, as a, as a military spouse, it, it's, um, you know, sometimes when they deploy my husband, he doesn't get to tell me where he goes. And so the fact that, I don't even get to know, and I, I can't really tell my, I can't say anything to my kids. I don't know where he is doing whatever operation he's doing, but this guy can just throw around this shit. Like it doesn't matter, like yeah. his safety. And I don't know. It's just, I, I uphold that obligation for secrecy and for support of my husband's mission and the military's mission to keep us safe. And I would expect that's, same level at least if not far more from the commander in chief who's responsible for the lives of the of the guys that are willing to sacrifice everything for for freedom and liberty and and the american way of life so it pisses me off you know just in general i think and anybody who's who's served in the military is currently in the military or gives a shit about the military should be pissed should yeah. be absolutely pissed that he was so careless and so irresponsible and lacked the patriotism to protect the information of the United States. I just think it's it's disgraceful and everybody yeah. should see it that way. That's what I no, think. Well, no, I mean, well put. I mean, Trump does. And he thinks yeah. that the military is full of suckers and losers, as we recall. That's what he said. Yeah. So, you know that that sure. that's who he is um yeah you know, well said with that and i i, I agree i mean it's, it's it, it really is horrifying and a disgrace to to the you know men and women in uniform it's it's a horrible horrible yeah. horrible horrible um i'm looking through this now and it, it occurs to me that um all of these documents appear to be pertaining to things that happened while he was in office it doesn't look like he's like it's nothing from like November of 1963 or whatever. Like it's all right shit that he did. Um, and I wonder if that will change or if if that's just it. I I don't know how it works with documents like that. Like maybe he didn't have access to older stuff um, as much as he. he might. I think he did. Like he had some uh, this guy who is kind of known as being like Mike Flynn's protege. His name's Ezra Cohen Watnick. Oh yeah. He put Ezra. Um, in charge of declassification at the National Security Council over JFK documents. So I, 
it's, you know, there were things that throughout his presidency, and, and I I can't say with any level of expertise, like the declassification and classification process, and if it's outdated, or if it needs, you know, I'm sure it needs a, a updating adjustment or more eyes on it, whatever. Um, I'm sure uh, the American people should have access to more information. I get that. We should also respect a need to know all, you know, because we don't all need to know fucking everything either. But it makes us vulnerable. So but he he did do some declassification over the time period that he was president. So for him to pretend like right at the end, he just like he didn't know how to do it or or he didn't have to do it or whatever is such bullshit because he yeah. put people like Ezra Cohen Watnick in charge of going through documents to see what could be declassified. He did the same thing when it came to Crossfire Hurricane and John Ratcliffe. When he when he put John Ratcliffe as the acting uh DIA um there he his main thing was to look at how much of Crossfire Hurricane he could declassify in order to get it to um uh, Durham so that Durham could, you know, d- prosecute the deep state, you know, like, so he, yeah. you know, he had people in there doing those things. So if he wanted some of these things to be declassified in order for him to take them or, or put them in his quote presidential library or whatever, he knew exactly how to do it, but that's not why he did this. That's not why he took them. And that's not what he actually wanted. He didn't want the American people to access it. He wanted to access it so that he could leverage it for whatever suited him, whether it's ego, money, leverage, yeah. whatever. Repayment he of didn't debt. Want it. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want it declassified for the American people. He wanted it still secret because it's it, it's more valuable if nobody knows. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I'm still stunned that this that any of this has happened. I'm stunned that that Jack Smith came through. Honestly, I'm a little bit relieved and uh, I'm stunned about the the contents of the indictment. I'm stunned still, you know, all these years later that Trump was president and um the whole thing remains kind of this surreal, like, how the fuck did this, you know, I just don't understand. But, you know, here we are and uh, making the best of it. And I'm grateful to, um, you know, it, it, it. the DOJ did the job, you know, and yeah. I, I maintain that Merrick Garland is not the greatest attorney general at all and didn't have urgency coming in and hasn't communicated enough. But appointing a special counsel to do this was absolutely the right move because it insulates any charge of Trump being like Biden's out to get me. Is he? Because it's like several removes from that. And, you know, yeah. how is it different from Durham being out to get like it, it you know, just settle down. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I still think he's facing, he's facing more than just this. I mean, this is yeah, just, I agree. You know, honestly, to me, like if I, if, uh, if, there is no strategy between state and federal, you know, prosecutors. They're going to bring charges when they have evidence and all of that. But when you think about just uh, Alvin Bragg and the timing, that to me seemed like okay. Let's throw a pebble and see yeah. how many waves we have to protect uh, the mm-hmm. beachgoers from. Like, is there going to be a riptide? Do we need to, you know, do some? specific, you know, extra precautionary type things before we move to these charges that are, you know, really, really going to uh, put a, I guess, test the 
the ability of law enforcement coordination with with um secret you know, service. the justice department yeah. and secret service and all these things so you know i think um you, we still have georgia and then we have um january 6th and i i wholeheartedly believe that uh jack smith is is a no bullshit uh he doesn't give a shit like he does not give a shit if you're a democrat or a republican uh you know if what yeah. he just he to me the way this is written is he believes in the rule of law he believes in protecting the national security of the united states to me jack smith is america first right yeah. that's mm-hmm. what this says and he's not going to stop at this if he can if there's you know evidence to show you know that the trump orchestrated or was part of a conspiracy to overthrow the government he's not going to hesitate to charge him with that or any of his co-conspirators whether that's guinea thomas or you know louis gomert or whoever i just don't see him being afraid i don't think he's going to let these people intimidate and bully and threaten him into being afraid to follow the law i really just don't i i'm glad that he's there i'm glad yeah me too me too. I don't know. I, I feel like for, for six years now, I've had this fantasy about like, you know, the baptism scene in The Godfather where it, it all the family business gets taken care of, like in the same <laughs> simultaneously. I want that, but for arrests of all the traitors. And, you know, I want yeah. to, I want the, the hammer to fucking fall. Um, and it probably is not going to, you know, come to pass quite that way. But uh, the fact that he's willing to go after him and, and honestly, this didn't take that long. The documents. No, case, six and a half case, months. Yeah, it was pretty fast. Because I remember my friend uh, who's a lawyer was like, this is an easy case. This is an open, shut case. There's no way that this should take that long. And, he, you know, he was right. I think it took as long as it did only because he was the president. And they really had to, in you know, figure out every little nook and cranny and get through this, that and the other. But, um, you know, fundamentally. Well, you still it, had to the DIA and the FBI had to had to assess each individual one of these documents and analyze what damage could have been caused Mm -hmm. had it been shared what if it didn't get shared so each one had to go through a full intelligence um, analysis to see you know the the effects of each one and that's a lot of documents for them to have to run those scenarios through because they if they don't know then yeah, you know, they have to just formulate that based on what they do know. So if there's exactly. a lot. I think it, this is a more complicated case than people think, but not because it's not open and closed. He, you know, intent and, uh, you know, proof of all of it, but just because of the context and the contents that he that he took and their implications, should they be, you know, yeah, leaked anywhere. Yeah. I think that's the that's the most complicated long, you know, part that makes yeah. it take longer. But he did he did so, great. He did it fast and it's coming down. And I think now it's just going to be a torrent, hopefully, you know, between now and whenever the time is that Trump is in jail. So we'll see. People listen to this. It's gonna be Friday. You're gonna know more than we know now because Tuesday will have already happened. Gal and I tried to um change the uh order of time in the universe to bring you that knowledge before we recorded this but we were unable to do so i apologize um speaking of time i promised that i would i would not keep you to more than an hour so i'm going to i'm going to um keep my promise well maybe i'm we're a few minutes over but that's okay um gal is there anything you want to plug while you're here at the end of the show or you know where can we find you these days you want to talk about anything 
Oh no, I'm I mean, I'm just just uh hanging out. I don't really uh you know, I still have my account active. I'm just not utilizing it. Um I don't really go in there, so if you you know, messaged me, I'm sorry. Um <laughs> but yeah, uh maybe maybe soon we'll figure out a way to get, you know, back and connect with everybody because I really appreciate all the collaboration we've always done. So Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's been good having you on the after hours at the five eight too. That's yeah always fun that's my place find me there okay, find me good. find me okay, on the good. five eight there you go um, <laughs> all right gal suburban thanks so much for joining me today always great to see you thank you the prevail theme song is by matthew fawcett zarina Zabriskie, marie cost and martha akuna provided the introduction in ukrainian french and spanish respectively voice talent is by stephanie st john tally briggs michelle Cantor, and me Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kenai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. And until next time, we shall prevail. <laughs>